Welcome to the Legacy Pod. In episode 8, I spoke to Cy Ferry, a professional footballer who has taken the media world by storm as host of the YouTube show Open Goal. His move into the media came at a time when Cy had no idea what the future held after football. He spoke about the reality check of working midnight factory shifts and delivering kitchens simply to provide for his family. Open Goal's success has eased that pressure. But beyond the laughs and the great stories, Cy hopes his new career is making young footballers plan properly for life once they stop playing. This was a Cy Ferry his usual audience doesn't normally see, but it was brilliant to hear a bit more about Open Goal and their plans for the future. Enjoy. Cy Ferry, the trendiest man in Scottish media. Welcome to the Legacy Pod. Delighted to be on, mate. Thanks for uh, thanks for having us. Uh, I've listened. To, I listened to a wee bit of your. First, I think you sent us one. Listened the first ten minutes. You're good at it, mate. Much better than I thought. Eh? I thought you'd make an asset, but you're actually alright. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not as good as you, though, mate. I'm not as good as you. You're better looking than me, so the picks and troughs, aren't it? Ah, well, it's one of those ones. <laughs> um, don't be so hard on yourself. Listen, firstly, you've uh, you know the past three years have been a huge success. It seems on the face of it. How did you get going with Open Goal? How did it all start? <laughs> So Open Goal started with, um, obviously, I used to write all the shit on Twitter for, can you this? Ah, of course you can. <laughs> so I used to write all the shit on Twitter for years, and um, I obviously moved down south. My mate was in Glasgow. He had like a marketing company, and uh, obviously came back up the road, and he kind of mentioned to us about podcasts when I was at Dundee, but obviously I was still full-time, still thought I was a bit of a player when I really wasn't a, um, so I, I kind of patched it off for a bit and then you come out of full-time football, mate, and you think it'll be easy to go and get a job. And me and Kevin McBride, who remember played for Motherwell, Celtic, yeah. I was at Dundee with Barry, what a guy, got on really well with him. So he also went part-time around about the same time. And he says, I've got a job delivering kitchens, do you want to come and date with us? So <laughs> me and him went and delivered kitchens for like a year, mate. Wow. The worst... I've scratched so many kitchens, mate. And, uh, <laughs> so bad that so it was it was a proper shift. Mate. We had to go and wrap the kitchens, put them on the van, deliver them to our house. I remember we got like a flat three stories up, and me and Barry were always laughing. So going yeah. up the stairs, like we'd be pushing ourselves, laughing, we'd drop the kitchens, scratch them, and we need to take them back. We'd, the boss hated this, mate. So sitting in the soft play one day with my two kids, and my, the, the same guy phoned us and says, well, "Now that you're part time, you want to give this podcast a bash." So I went and met him, and he was like, uh, this is what we're going to do. We're going to interview football players. Um, you'll be the interviewer. And I was like, I can't interview people, mate. You're kidding on. But he was like, no, I'll write all the questions for you, and you just sit and, and, and talk. So he was like, get five of your best pals who you think would make for good interviews. We'll do the five. We'll put them out there and, and see how it goes. So I got Kevin Thompson, Aidan McGeady, Dan O'Day, Charlie McGrew, and Charlie Adams. Uh, we've done the five, um, put them out there. I actually remember the first one when I was on holiday and uh, my phone was just non-stop. My, my mate was like, mate, this is blown up. Like the first thing, I think really? it was Tom the first. I think he gave us a, a line about John Collins and he was quite, he was very open, Tom. You know, he's yeah. very opinion. Picked well, mate, because I knew guys like Aidan have got a, a, a big opinion. Yeah. Kevin Thompson. So I knew they two would be very good. So I think we put Tom at first and kind of after his went out, um, it just kind of blew up for there. It's a, it's a funny one because it feels as if it's like having a dog or a kid. You almost can't remember before Open Goal was there. Did Was it just as instant as that? It just sort of, it took people, it resonated for some reason. I did, even when, I, even when I, before we put the first interview, I messaged obviously hundreds of football players that I knew and says, listen, I'm going to do this. One, will you help promote it? And two, if it comes to it, will, will you come on? I couldn't believe the response with the amount of people. And it, that's what I see. I see footballers get a bad name, but anytime I've asked a football player to help us out, there's a favour, the majority of me are yeah. yes, no problem, straight away. And that's what I love about the mess. So kind of knew for that response when I, I told people what I was going to be doing, everyone that I'd kind of played with that said, oh, that you'll be brilliant at that. Which I couldn't, they said, like, you would never shut up. I never really... It wasn't conscious to me that they said that if I sit and address them, I would just constantly sit and ask them questions. Yeah. 
Um, so I think I've always been kind of suited it. But like you said before, it just because of the kitchen stuff, Paul, like, because obviously you've been full time all your life, I hitch a lot of ton of bricks. After the kitchens, I, in fact, I went and worked in the Royal Mail doing the night shift in Springburn, mate. So I used to work, I used to walk through my house in steps at 11 o'clock at night. I walked to Springburn, took us 45 minutes, get there at quarter to, because I couldn't drive. Right, okay. Get there at quarter to 12. I'd sit for 15 minutes thinking, what has happened to my life? Jeez. I'd do my six hour shift and then I'd walk back up the road another hour. In fact, I'd run back up the road because I was sleeping all day, I was in the training. Right, fit. okay. I'd run back up the road for the night shift. So open goal was an absolute godsend for me because I didn't know where my life was going. It was like rubbish money doing shift work, obviously playing for Peterhead on a Saturday, but I remember some of the walks doing and walks back were were lonely, lonely walks, man. I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a cliche, but as a footballer, do you ever really prepare for the real life and, and for when the, you know, the time comes for whatever's going to come next. Do you ever really get yourself prepared for it? See, I do because I was always uh, I was always negative as a player, negative right. mindset. I always thought after Swindon, like so, if I had two years left on my Swindon contract, I used to think to I'll know that if I didn't, I always used to think of the worst thing. If I didn't do well, I could maybe go to a League Two for a League, League Two team for two years. Right. That doesn't work. I could maybe go to the championship in Scotland. So there's me, have got four years left to still even might not be great. But I never used to think day well and get to the championship and day well on the chat. It was always a negative, I always thought. So do I, I did think about it a lot. My missus will tell you, see, when I went to Dundee and I wasn't doing well in my first year at Dundee, I went, I lost I lost the plot, man. Like it was pure pulling her up for spending like 25 quid on like shopping Just or panicking. Just panicking, mate, thinking, because I wasn't doing well. I knew that the drop for Dundee would probably be part-time for me. Yep. And I just totally panicked, mate, and lost my head probably that year at Dundee. And then that obviously affected my performances yeah. on the pitch. And then, as I say, mate, you go for that. Uh, when that day comes that you stop playing full-time football and you look, we went on Indeed, I think, when I stopped, when I stopped playing with Dundee, and I was like, I cannot do any one of these fucking jobs, man. Like, there's nothing on this web full website. I think I went through about six pages, and I was like, I can't do any of the jobs. Yeah. And that's when it started to get like a bit of, wow, I'm going to be earning like 250 quid now for the rest of my... Because all I'm good at is basically manual labour or driving a taxi or something. So you go for earning... And here's an example for you, man. I was, on, I was at Swindon in League One, finished fourth in the league, Got to the playoff semi-final. I think I was on something like maybe two and a half grand a week with 251, 250 yeah. pounds. So if you're playing, you're earning three grand a week. To two years later, mate, I was part-time at Peterhead on 300 quid a week. You can't, bring, you can't prepare people. for that, can you? You can't prepare yeah, for that, that drop. And you've still got the same bills. You're still spending yeah. the same. And it's tough, mate. I can easily say how people are affected by like mental health when they come into football because... Um, it's not any other. It's not anything else in the world, mate. Because you've got nothing else to fall back. There's not even anything close to that earning that money with the, the skill set that you've got. Yep. It's such a drop because most of us are guys that never stuck in at school, for a working class background, haven't got a mum and dad who can go and look after them after it. And that drop, mate, it's um, it's tough to take, especially because my missus wasn't working as well, mate. Because we had two young kids. Yeah. Always earn decent money. She didn't need to work. It's then like. Right, you're going to need to go and get a job now as well. So it's both of you, mate, and it affects the full household. Yeah. It's tough. So as I say, thank God that the open goal happened. I mean, it, it, you've obviously become really well-known, and we'll get into it in a minute, for the funny stories and the amazing behind-the-scenes stuff that these guys obviously trust to tell you. But what you've just said there, there's clearly, you know, obviously the, the PFA and stuff do their work and, and help players come and transition from playing to um, other other industries, other jobs, but do you think it's helpful that with the platform that you've got now, when you speak about it so honestly and so openly to say it's it's not easy, do, do, can, how much can that help as well? Just young guys try and prepare a bit more for the future. I hope I, that's the biggest thing I get with this pause. I hope that that people watching open goal, especially footballers, realise that. And as I say, start to put plans in place. Maybe day it. Then wait till you're 32, 33 to go and do your coaching badges. Get them done at 24, 25. See while you're earning good money. Go and yeah. pay that 1,500 quid to get your coaching badges done. Because see, when you come to the end of your career, like I said, you need to you need to have that drop in money. You might not have 1,500 quid to then go and get it done. 
So dinner wait until the end. Go and get it done while you are still, you know, say you're at a Premier League club earning yeah. maybe twelve. Go and get your coaching badges done because I think you always think I will find something outside the football after it. I didn't want it. But see if you're a footballer, stay involved in football. I always think if you can, whether it is a podcast, whether it's punditry, whether it's coaching, because ultimately that is your that's your love. Yeah. You know, doing podcasts and coaching and doing the radio, I love that man. I hated doing kitchens. Yeah. I hated working in the Royal Mail because it wasn't me. It's not your passion. So give yourself the best possible chance of getting some sort of avenue and in, in staying into football. So get, even going there like a um a media set a media co- a course because the PFA, like you say, when I left Dundee, there was nothing like that there. But now yeah. I get emails through to the PFA where there's media training you can do all different types of courses to go and better yourself. So 100%, like, I give total respect to Kev Kyle, man. He comes on the podcast and he openly speaks about having to go and work on a ferry, cleaning toilets. He's now a DPD driver. And it, it, it might be a bit embarrassing for Kev to go and speak about it, but Kev's doing it to help, yeah. as you say, the white audience to realise, make sure that you're prepared for the end. John Daly's the same, mate. You know, you think John Daly's done his coaching badges. He went and played as a coach at Hearts. But people might think you earn loads of money, but you didn't. Yeah. John Daly, as soon as he left Hartsmith, you had to go and do the DPD as well. So it shows you, even if you have got a, a life after football, be it four or five years, it's not going to be enough to last you forever. You will need to eventually work. But as I say, give your, yourself the best possible chance of staying in football in, in some somehow. And it's not luck that, you, I mean, you obviously you got, someone saw the the you know the the potential in you to be good at something like a podcast speaking to footballers so that's not luck but when that door opens you need to walk through it and it would have been easy for you to maybe not walk through it and try and hold out for something else but did you have any sort of trepidation that you wouldn't be good at it you, you know were you, did, were you, did you have any fears at all that this isn't for me Paul I still think I'm shy at it <laughs> honestly yeah, of course but why would I be good at why would I be good at interviewing people or sitting down and talking? But I just I went in it the same way I go into everything. Same as football. I might not be the best, but what I will be is the most enthusiastic. I'll try my hardest at doing it. I'll make sure I prepare properly for it. And I think if you do the three and you ultimately just be yourself. Yeah. If you go and do it and it doesn't work, then fine, man. Go and, I'll go and try and, and find someone else. So I wasn't going in, I expected it to be anything, but I, I did know that I would give them all. Yeah. Um, and, I knew, and I knew that the guys that I were interviewing, because obviously the conversations I've had when we've been drunk and stuff like that, and I know these guys, yeah. that I can get good stories out of them because I have done in the past. So that kind of gave us a wee bit of confidence that I could do it. And then obviously, I always think well, a minute in an interview, I can tell how it's going to go. And uh, with A5 guys, within a minute, they just seemed on it. They seemed to enjoy it straight away. Try, I always try to make sure that I sit and speak to them for like 15, 20 minutes beforehand before I interview yeah. them. As a bit of pain in the arse, it takes that wee bit longer for your day, but I always think finding a common ground. So even if I'm going down to uh, interview Jamie Carrigan, mate, I'm totally thinking, like, what can I speak to Jamie Carrigan about 15 minutes before I when I get there? And it was just wee small things, mate. He, Stephen Darby, who's the guy that's got, I think it's MS he's got now. Right, okay. The young kid at Liverpool came on loan at Swindon with me. And I uh, remember Darv's tell we beat Charlton in the semi-final playoffs and we got back to the bus and Gerard and Carragher had text Darbs a big message saying, so proud of him, young boy on loan. So as soon as I went into Jamie Carragher's house, straight in I went, oh, uh, Stephen Darby, remember you texted him when he came to uh, Swindon and then it went for Swindon. He's like, oh yes, you at Swindon, lad. And then, and then it was, what was the canyon like? And then before you know it, mate, you're finding common ground yep. and 15 minutes and we're getting a right good laugh with Jamie Carragher then bang, you go to do the interview and he just seems that wee bit more relaxed. So it's then, like you say, then your homework and the bit of preparation goes a, goes a long way. The other thing that you kind of really, you knew them personally, you knew their stories, they knew you. It gave you a big advantage, I think, over anyone else in the media trying to get mm-hmm. access to these guys. Did you sense straight away that they felt relaxed enough? And especially people like maybe Aiden and Kevin Thompson that you mentioned, it's kind of seemed as if they were itching to get these stories out there, but just to the right person. Yeah. Uh, do you know what? I think if I'd never done A5, it wouldn't have then... If I hadn't started with A5, I maybe wouldn't have got the other ones to do it. But because right. A5 was so open, I think other people that I then asked, I always sent them Aidens. Yep. Send Aidens. 
and I watch it and say, basically, this is what we're after. If they look at that and think, I'm not going to be as open and honest in that, then just come back and say, you're not going to do it. Yeah. But for some reason, I think because they were quite big names, such as Aiden and, and Tomo, people thought, well, if these guys who are quite high profile can go and be that honest and open, why, why can I not? Yeah. And, and I think what you'll find is footballers do love talking about themselves. 100%. So they might act shy and stuff like that. But once once you get them relaxed, they love telling you about their successes and their stories. So it's just trying to get into how you get to that stage of them being so relaxed to be like that. And again, I think having guys like Aiden and that on, but the, the reason I knew it was going to be great is because my mate who I was talking about, he was um, going out, I said, Charlie McGrew one, and his face screwed up straight away. And he's like, Charlie McGrew's a terrible interviewer. Watch him in pe- press conferences. He's he's very yeah, bland. Yeah. I was like, mate, Charlie's the best guy ever then. And that just, people do not know the real side of these guys. So obviously, Charlie was massive because I remember after the interview, my mate was like, cannot believe that that was Charlie McGrew talking that and how funny he is and how like his partner is sensational so I think Charlie was the real one that that, that kind of my mate was especially was sitting he was like this is people are going to love this because you never get to see that side but you don't you're not allowed to see that side of it especially when you play for clubs like Celtic and Rangers and some of the bigger clubs down south even any club I think in the Premier League you're never allowed to see that side of players in case the headlines come and in case the clubs are put in a difficult position. Did you know what you didn't want to be, having sort of experienced the way that the media can not get the best out of of characters like Charlie and Aiden and whoever it might be? Yeah, so, see, when we first started, I used to get hundreds of messages on Twitter, like, why didn't you ask them this a negative thing that happened in their career? And I was, I used to say, I'm not doing this yeah. to bring it get the worst into it. I'm not interested in that stuff I want to hear the good side of football because people kick football enough as it is in football players I'm not here to do that I'm here to show these guys in a good light so even when I got I think I interviewed John Higgins and somebody messaged me saying oh ask him about the the, the gap I'm like mate why would I bring who's I got these guys who are doing me yeah. favours coming on to help me out and advance my career why would I come on and, and ask them stuff like that? I want them to be relaxed I don't want them to be defensive and yeah. I want people to see the good the good stories in Scottish success stories and Scottish people and footballers who have came through so definitely there, there was a lot of people at the start especially saying only ask good stuff like is this the kind of guy you want to call you I'm not I'd never be a journalist but is this the type of guy that you want to be just get all the good stuff out of people and never ask them any challenging questions. And I'm like, uh-huh, there's enough people to do that to, to 100%. people. You know, as I say, I want to show the good side of these people because ultimately they are good guys. I know them. You know, I don't want to go and show up. We've all made mistakes. You can pick anyone up, but why would you yeah. want to pick that up in an interview? You want it to be... Um, we always want to open go to be a, a fun outlook on, on, on football. No, uh, no the negative side. And was always... Was it always planned to just start with you and then you bring in other presenters like Slaney and Kevin Kyle and Andy Halliday? Was was that the plan or did it just kind of evolve that way? Well, we've never had a plan, eh? <laughs> never had a plan, honestly. I've just winged it the full time. But when we first started doing up and go, we were talking about guys that you want to get on. And I had this thought, thought of it. I didn't want it to all just be big kind of, no big names, but, you know, guys here like can range success to yeah. it. I said Paul Slane would be a brilliant interview because I knew I, I was willing for certainly for a, for a short while but one guy that made me laugh like nobody else when I met him for that week or two weeks or whatever it was and obviously we were like that, with the stuff that had gone on well, yeah. people might not take it so well, let's see if we can get it built up first and then but he was always in my mind and then we came up with the idea, then a weekly podcast where we talk about the weeks, what's been happening in the week. And I said, he's perfect for this because he'll slaughter people, he'll yep. slaughter himself, you'll have good stories. So we got him into the, the podcast and for the first for the first 10, again, a minute probably with Slaney was on, we were like, he's going to take this to the next level, man, yep. because he's just, he's just a one-off, mate. He's just so charismatic. It's like... He, I, even now, I've been doing it for two years, but I mean, every every single thing he says makes me laugh. Eh? Yeah, and he's just got this way about him. He's just so he's naturally funny. His timing is unbelievable in terms of uh, the right time to come out with something funny. And um, everyone loves him, mate. Honestly, like, see, yeah. I've like Seamus Coleman at World Day One in the future, and 
he just messages me about Slaney constantly. Like Seamus Coleman plays for Everton, mate. Never heard of Slaney before the podcast. And he's like, your man Slaney just cracks his up. So, um, no, he's been massive for us. Like he, he, I would say Slaney has taken it to the next level in terms of the podcast. I think podcast numbers were all right. Like the interview numbers were always decent. But in terms of the podcast, like people just took an instant like to him and he's took it up to the next level, definitely. I was going to say, was there a point, you can see when you go through your YouTube channel, you can see there's a real steady, you know, week upon week upon week, month upon month, the numbers go up, and then suddenly they just seem to spike. Was it Paul's introduction, or was it one, was it like the Alan McCoyst interview, or was there one moment that you can remember thinking, this has now gone to the next level? Definitely Slaney coming on, and I remember thinking, was getting a lot, you were getting stopped a lot more, when, when Slaney came on, people asking you about Slaney a lot. Uh, but probably lockdown, mate. Right. See, lockdown. Because I think people were stuck in the house. Yeah. On the Zoom, but then we started to get guys like Ollie McBurney came on. I think that kind of brought an audience for down south. Charlie Austin came on. Yeah. Again, brought a, a, he had Twitter followers that he retweeted. and Because and, now it's mad how many people message me if you if you look at like the, pod, the Apple podcast reviews. Guys that come on for England saying knew a bit about Scottish football, watch say a McBurney or Charlie Austin on the podcast, and I'm yep. now hooked. So I, I think they guys brought kind of a wee bit, maybe of an English following, but ultimately, in fact, I'm talking rubbish. The thing that put the numbers up was Andy Halliday coming on. Really? You know, because I think I, I think I brought a lot more Rangers fans. Right. Okay. Whereas before it was me, Kevin Slaney. I know Kev played with Rangers, but he says I think he was a Celtic fan growing up. Yeah. And it's. I think people looked at it as sort, sort of three Celtic guys in a point. Yeah. Andy came on, and Andy's fitted and brilliant. Andy's opinionated, you know, he, he doesn't hold back. He's a natural, he says what he thinks. So I think Andy coming on really boosted the numbers. I think before Andy came on, we maybe at 60, 70,000, 50, 60,000 a week. But since Andy's came on, it's kind of went up to the 100,000. So Andy, Andy's been very good. I think his interview in terms of ratings, was was right up there. Tierney yeah. coming on was another big one. Yeah. I think a lot of people watched the Tierney one and the numbers kind of helped for there as well. So uh, I'd say Slaney and the Tierney kind of pushed it, pushed it I, as well. I found the Tierney interview really sad in terms of when he started opening up about how he'd been treated. And that's, I guess, that's a bit of a complete shift of what you normally get from your podcast when it's all banter and jokes and funny stories. And, and then he starts talking about what it was like when he left. Um, it, it was a bit it, it was a wee bit sad I thought mm. I think because there's so much laughs when there is a serious side it, it hits home even more yeah people, I think Kieran wanted to come on and obviously have a laugh and show that side to him but I yeah. think he always, also wanted to show the other side of football where people might think he's on loads of money and he's living the life but it doesn't mean to say that he's not had some hard times yeah um, sure so fair play to him because, you know, he could easily... There's no reason for him to come on. Yeah. I think he enjoys the podcast. Him and Slaney are quite tight now as well. So I, I think he wasn't sure about telling it, but I think he, the reaction he got after it, he was he was happy that he'd done it. So fair play to him because, as I say, it doesn't matter how... That's the thing you get through these these interviews as well, Paul. You know yourself, you interview guys like Gary O'Connor, who's made a fortune throughout your life. But yeah. these guys, it's no champagne and night suit. There's a lot of lows as well, so... I like to hear that side of it as well, eh? Like to hear that people people have struggled and it's tough being a football player, mate. Like I said, I know it's a lot of money, but as I just spoke about there with the the job and the, the kitchens and that, it's um, there, there's a lot. Of, there's more tough times than there is good times, and that doesn't matter what level you're playing at. I was going to say, even you know, you you talked about getting to the end of it, even within the beginning, the middle, the end of your career, the the ups and downs of it. Um, I think so many people look at it as it's so glamorous, it's so well paid, it's the dream job, but um, you've lived it yourself, you've had those ups and those downs, it can't be easy, it can't, it, you know, it must be a struggle. See, see, when I was a football player, Paul, I didn't think I slept anywhere than five hours a night. Really? Worrying, yeah, worrying about everything, worrying about training that day, training the next day, game for the last weekend, injuries, your head never stops. See, when you're a football player, you cannot stop thinking about your performance, the team's performance, what you're eating. So it's it takes over your life. You can't relax. You can't. You go out for a meal and there's fans there who want to talk to you. You can't. You can see, especially when I was at Swindon, you cannot escape it because the canny was fit. We were in, 
we were in every single day at Swindon. So for six, uh, we counted it once. We were in 63 consecutive days. Wow. When you're leaving training to go for a coffee after it, Swindon fans are coming around you're talking about it again. Yeah. You kind of get away with it. When you get home at night, it's what you, it's what you think about next day training, you think about the game coming up at the weekend, you think about the future, as I say, what am I going to do after Swindon? My mind never stopped for, I would say, for when I went to Swindon, when I went on loan, I never cared because I was still a young lad. I knew I was going back yeah. to Celtic, so for that year, it was carefree. After that, for then until probably I went to Peterhead, I would be surprised if I slept anywhere than four hours a night, five hours a night. Were you unique in that, or do you think that's quite quite common? No, I think it's common, mate. I do. I think that's a common thing. I think if you speak to if, if, if any football was totally truthful with you, but guys like Aidan, I'll give him an example. Aidan, what, 34, more money than the Queen. Absolutely loaded. And when, when I meet Aidan, he, he, he tell, he tell, the first thing you, you get for Aidan is, what's not going right? Yeah. And that tells me everything. That he's constantly, although he's had an amazing career that he's had, he's made the money, he still cares so much at that age, at that kind of stature, with the money that he's got. And that tells me that every footballer is the same. Yeah. You know, he could quite easily never play again and not have to worry, but he still worries about not being in the team. Maybe he's had this disagreement with the manager, the team's playing like this, it doesn't suit me, and that's still all going through his head. Yeah. So that's what makes me think that, I think Snoddy's the same, Slaney says when he speaks to Snoddy, it's always about this needs to, I need to do this better and that better. So it just shows you that even these guys who are multi-millionaires that I need to work again, they're still constantly thinking about football. So that's why I think it goes for that level to right to the bottom level. And I don't think it's something that fans probably appreciate because if you take, I'm not trying to compare the level, but, most fans have played pub league or amateur or Sunday, whatever it is. And if you're not in that team as a complete rookie amateur footballer, it affects you. You're thinking, oh, I want to be playing in the team, but you can still go back to your day job. You've still got a million different things outside of football. Imagine that was your life and that was all that you, that was that was going to make or break you, whether you were doing well that day, whether you had a bad session or whether you were in or out of the team. It's very easy to forget that. Well, I went to Dundee and I thought it was the best move of my career. I was so happy. I was coming home, obviously, me and my family for Dundee. It's the worst year of my life by a mile. So I would stay with my gran and on the, I'd walk from my grand's to Den's, which is a 10-minute walk. On that way, somebody would stop me and tell me, no, Den, well enough. You get to training, people in the, the club, work in the office, work in the kitchen. What's up? What was up with you at the weekend? no. Miles off it, you know, go to training, just didn't feel yourself, didn't feel yourself, constantly thinking I'm not doing well enough here. Go home, your dad phoned you on a Sunday saying I was in the pub last night, boys are saying as you've been hopeless. And it's like, wow. Like, yeah. there's no escape. There's no escape. It's coming at, coming at you for all angles. And that's why like, I feel for big Shane Duffy just now. Because as I say, you think going to your, the team that you supported as a kid, your boyhood team or whatever, I think it's going to be the best thing ever. But see, when it goes the other way, it's horrendous. It really affects your full family, your full life. Andy Halliday says it, mate. Andy Halliday says when he was at Rangers, he never never went out for three years. When they go on a night out, when they go out for a meal, because he couldn't face criticism, group chats. You'd have to come out of group chats because if, if friends were criticising the team and performance. What other, what, other, what other job in the world to get yeah. that, mate? No, you don't. You really don't. No, it's tough. It's, you need to be mentally mental. That's why I've got so much respect for guys like James Forrest, Cal McGregor, Kieran Tierney, Aidan, uh, Charlie, who have came through and have been mentally strong enough to go and do it for the youth team. Because the, I always think as well, I don't know if you agree, like guys like James Forrest get more criticism than signings. I, I can't believe the criticism that, that James gets. Because he, probably, because he, he probably could have left a couple of times, but he's chose to stay there. Yeah. You need to be so mentally like this is me getting criticised at Dundee, mate. What did Dundee get six thousand a week, and I couldn't handle it. Yeah. So God knows how these guys handle getting criticised for for sixty thousand a week. So I've got nothing but respect for them because it's it's tough. It's tough. So I think as well. I don't want to get too deep on this, but when you talked earlier about the mental health of players, do you feel as if it's not fashionable for players to admit that you know it's it's difficult to accept criticism because the immediate comeback will be you get paid well, deal with it. Like how how do you change that mindset of it's okay to actually admit I'm having a bad day at work or I'm having a bad month at work and it doesn't help that 
6,000 punters are shouting at me or I can't go for a meal with my wife or take my kids out without people making it worse. One thing I will say, I think managers may understand that now. So back in, back in my day when things weren't going well, managers would still probably constantly be on your back as well. Where I think managers, I don't think managers are like that anymore. I think they understand the pressures that players are under face supporters and family and friends. Yeah. So one thing I will say, I think that's probably your release is going into training. Where for me, when I was going into training, it was like the manager was on you as well. Ultimately, it's his opinion that matters. You know, he, nothing would have made you feel any better than a manager coming over and saying, yeah. I want to be. So I think that's where that's got a lot better in football. I think clubs are much more understanding. I think players have got a, a much better support network in, in at clubs. Um, like at Peterhead, if one of the boys has a bad game, okay, after the game, I'll go through them. But on a Tuesday, you'll always make a point in going up to them and saying, I said, I'm only, I only get so angry because I know how good you can be. Yeah. So I think I think coaches and players have, have got better at, at, at that side of the game. Fans will always be the same, which is it's quite, they're playing their money, mate. You know, I'm yeah. the same. When I watch a game of football, I criticise as well, so I can completely understand where fans are coming for as well. But it doesn't matter how much money you've got in the bank, mate. If you're getting criticised, I don't care who you are, it, it hurts and it's tough. But the ones that can deal with it, mate, they're the ones that get paid the big money. You know, ultimately for me, that's what I always think. Ability-wise, there's no much in the guys that I've seen make it and have to make it. It's the guys who are, are mentally tough. Yeah. Go on and do it. You made a, a point there about if you go through someone, you'll then tell them. Has the communication aspect of it changed? Because, you know, you're always going to still have high standards that you demand, but if you explain properly and if you tell a player, this is why I said that, that must make it a bit easier. Yeah, I think yeah, I hear people say, no, you can't shout at players. I think you can, but I think you need to do it a certain way. Yeah. You know, I think if you're just bowling and shouting for the sake of it, then you're, you'll lose players. But if you put a reason behind why you're criticising them, you're doing, why are you doing this when I've asked you to do this? But for an instance, we've got a guy, Andy McCarthy, who played the Patrick Thistle, really good football player. And uh, we played a game this year, and he wasn't getting on the ball enough for me. You know, he was running up and doing the pitch, and he wasn't winning his headers because that's not his game. Yeah. So after the game... I say to them, nowhere near good enough for Dandy. Nowhere near good enough because, one, you never won 50-50s, you never won headers, but that's not why I'm angry with you. I'm angry at you because you're more than good enough to go and get on the ball and dictate the game, but you weren't brave enough to go and do that. So, yeah, I can criticise you for no winning 50-50s, but that's not your game. Yeah. Your game, what I'm going to criticise you for is, I'd rather you went and got on the ball 50 times and gave it away 50 times than maybe make a mistake once or twice and then just run up and the pitch. Because ultimately, you may as well stand next to me if you're just going to do that, because that's not your game. Yeah. The Tuesday, I pulled him and said, listen, I do not care how many times you give the ball. I, I care about you getting on the ball every time you give it away, go and look and get on it again. And since that session, mate, he's went and, again, he's made mistakes, but he's now, he's now doing a lot more in the game. He doesn't need to go and then... That's what I say to me. Then they need to go and win as many headers in 50-50s because you're dictating the play. So that yeah. takes the percentage of the times that you need to go because if we do just keep kicking it, you're going to need to keep winning 50-50s, you're going to need to keep trying to win headers and you'll lose and you'll fight the game. Whereas if we keep the, the ball more, it suits your game more. So go and be brave and from that, I'll not need to criticise you as much for no winning 50-50s because we'll have more of the ball. And, and that's the way he's seen it and he understands what I'm saying. So now when the ball goes to the throwback, he doesn't go and run away, he goes and gets on the ball and we keep the ball a lot better. So it does not, not only helps him, but it helps the team as well. So I think, again, it's, it's, a, it's about explaining it in great detail to them yeah. in, a, in a way that you're, I'm not just criticising you because I think you're a, a bad player. It's in a way that I'm, I know that you can do better and this is how I think you can do better. Has has the podcast helped and the show helped you in terms of being a coach? Because you are communicating every day. You're talking to dozens of people every week. Or is it or do you see it as just two different like two different careers almost just happening at the same time? Nah, so every podcast I day or interview I day, I'll always have a coach's head on. I'll try and find out things that I would like to know if a player as a coach as well. Right, okay. So I'm not in that sense. Even with Jamie Carragher, like Speaking speak about centre halves, you know, he was saying the day he would struggle to be a centre half because you need pace, you need to be able to defend two v two. But that that wasn't in the questions. It's just when I was sitting speaking to Carragher, I thought he was talking about centre half play, and I'm thinking about my centre halves at Peterhead, and I'm thinking I'd love to know what he thinks about 
what centre-halves need now in the modern game. And that's why I popped that question in. And you hear Carragher talking about Van Dijk and what yeah. he sees doing well. And then you start to think, right, well, if Jamie Carragher thinks that, I'm, I, I could take that into yeah. your Peter Head. So whenever I'm, when, whoever I speak to about football, they're still playing. One question I'll always ask is, what he's doing training? What does the manager do well that you like? What, what does he not do? This is not on camera. This is usually off camera that I'll ask yeah. this. I mean, even Andy Halliday has been a massive help to me. Andy will tell you, I went up to his house one afternoon and sat with coffee mugs and got him to show me what Michael Beale does with his team off the ball, on the ball. Sat there for about an hour and it was brilliant, mate. So, nah, the podcast is a massive, a massive help in, in, um, in, in the coaching as well. You mentioned lockdown a few minutes ago and I was going to get to that. Clearly that helped you guys in terms of audience and people being stuck in the house and something to watch, but Again, this might be a bit preachy or a bit deep, but knowing the audience that you had and knowing how much of a laugh that you guys had, did you start to feel the longer that COVID went on, you kind of not had a responsibility, but you knew that you'd be bringing something a bit more lighthearted at a, at a pretty tough time into people's lives? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the best thing about the podcast, Paul, see the amount of messages you get for people that say, been really struggling with the podcast. It helps massively during yeah. lockdown. Honestly, I'm not, I'm not even just lie, but it's like constant messages. You get the, the messages, particularly for younger guys, you know, who are obviously kind of see their pals, kind of go out, big part of young people's lives. And I think no getting to see your pals, kind of seeing us up there yeah. as four friends, basically, which we are probably talking about football the same way they would talk to their pals yeah. about football, flagging each other, slaying each other, like Andy Howard, the Rangers. And I think that's what, what people miss about seeing with their pals. So, yep. as you know, mate, football's a massive thing in Scotland. Like, I've played down south. It doesn't compare, you know, the passion and the love that people have got for football up here. It doesn't. It's like nothing else I've ever seen. You know, every everyone's life's football, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. You know? So, I think the fact that, you know, sports scene's great for what it is. You get the facts and tactics. It's really good. But the fact that we show like, a lighter side, um, I think it going through the messages that I've got, I think, um, and that's why, again, we're trying to do a third podcast, you know, we're trying to just keep people as much as we can while they're stuck in the house, so yep. we just stick a bit of the English stuff in the Scottish one at the end, but we just thought, why not just do a full English podcast on a Wednesday? Because there's nothing worse than this lockdown, Paul, you're sitting in the house and, oh, I look forward to the game on the telly on a on a Tuesday night or a Saturday, so if, if I've not got that, you're sitting thinking, Is it- have I got forward to the end of the day? Is it tough for you um, in terms of, uh, and generally? Because obviously you've got, you have to come up with ideas. You've got to try and get guests. It's harder to do if there is a lockdown. Has it been a challenge for you in terms of keeping the quality of open goal up there? Or has it been easier to, because people have got more time to to be available? Yeah, so, like I said, the Monday interview, we've kind of scrapped that just now because the last one we've done with Jamie Carragher, such a high quality, we loved it. Then didn't want to go back to doing a Zoom interview because yeah. it's not as enjoyable, it's not as impersonable. I know we are doing this, but we are us two are brilliant at it. But <laughs> you know, we didn't want to take it. We had it, so we're just going to, we're just putting it on the back burner. Yeah. You know, we're just going to leave that until we can get back to face to face. I enjoy it much more face to face. I think yeah. the guest enjoys it much more face to face. And plus the fact Slaney has not paid his Wi-Fi bill for about six months, <laughs> it kills him as well. So. Again, we took that out. We thought, if we're going to take that out on a Monday, why not do something extra on a Wednesday? So yeah. just about trying to get the right things at the right time in, in terms of this lockdown. And and what's best... For, so the audio one's on a Wednesday. You know, we did that on a, yeah. on a Wednesday, only audio. So uh, again, it's just whatever's, whatever suits at the time. But I, I, we want to get back to the the interviews because obviously that's where you get bigger guests. You know, if we can get down south and, and do some of the bigger guys down there, that would be great. And clearly, the, so the English football podcast is going to batter that door down as well. But have you got a, a sort of uh, a roadmap in terms of who you want next? Who's your next 10, 20, 30 guests? Do you sketch that down and just go for it? Or do you just wait and see what becomes available? Uh, so we've got we've got like five <clears> guys <throat> that we're probably going to do once this is all done. So yep. like a, lot, a few of them are Scottish boys. So listen, we'll interview anyone. You know, yeah. Well, anyone within reason. Um, big, obviously you want to do big names mate yeah. people enjoy seeing the big names you know Carragher was brilliant I think once you do Carragher you think right let's 
Do you want stories like that? European Cups, big managers, big yeah. players. Um, because I think we've pretty much done everyone in Scotland, but they're still like big. Like Alan Brazil would be brilliant trying yeah. to push the track. Guys like him and Ross McCormick maybe going to day one as well, which will be great. You'd have some great yeah. stories to tell. Yeah, exactly. So anyone that's got big like stories that that people want to know about, we'll do them. So, but again, it is tough because trying to get these guys as well, you need to ask them for favors. They're busy as well. So yeah, that's why like the podcast. We're happy at the podcast because it's me and this Kev. We're always available for that that slot to do it. So the fact that the podcast ain't well, we can kind of dip in and out and choose, pick and choose where. What were they or in there? Was there any particular interview that took you by surprise for being better than you thought it would be or worse than you thought it was going to be? Start with the better first. Who surprised you? Who did surprise us? I can't, it's been, it's been that long. Who surprised, did anyone surprise you? I'm trying to think who surprised me. Aiden a little bit, only because going on my previous experience in my past career, you never got access to the guy and you never got to see the real Eddie McGeady. And you, you kind of saw flashes of him if you were maybe, if you saw him out in the town or if you were on pre-season, you kind of saw little flashes, but you knew that you were never going to get the real side of someone like that. So it was a pleasant surprise that he was, I'd always heard he was a funny guy, but it was brilliant to see him actually being so open. Um, mm. try to think, but I he think, wasn't a surprise to me on the flip side because yeah. I know I'm like that. You know, he was exactly like he is in real life. So, again, for you, I cannot, I totally understand what you're saying, but for me, like, that was just Aiden being Aiden, how I've known yep. him since he was 19-year-old. So, yeah. I don't think he was a surprise. Do you mean in a good way? In a, a good way. You're thinking, right, we're going to get him on, but maybe told you stories that, I mean, you always have a good insight into you're getting information fed to you before these guys come on, but um, I was there anyone that you thought, I didn't see that coming, didn't, didn't see that story coming? Andy Halliday. Andy Halliday was one. So I never knew Andy, and it was Derek Lyle, actually. You know, Dale plays yeah, yes. yep. So Dale says, I think Dale's pally with Andy's girlfriend's dad. So Dale says, why don't you get Andy today? When I said, oh, 100%. But, but again, I've got this perception that Andy Halliday, you know, bit of Ed, stuff like that. You know what I mean? But then he came on the podcast and... He, he was one of my favourite interviews, Andy. Just yep. so open and honest. And again, as I say, like got a lot of time from now. Like speaking to him about Fitboy, knows yep. he loves Fitboy, loves tactical side of the game. He's really clued in it. Um, and his story about Alan McGregor is probably my, my favourite story of our time with Walters. Amazing. But just how open he was, like the Pedro stuff. I couldn't believe that he would. He, he, was, he went into that sort of detail. Yeah. Because he'd just left Rangers. I wasn't sure if he'd want to... You know, because it was a hard time for the club. I didn't, I didn't yeah. know if he'd want to go into much detail, but fair play to him. And again, I was thinking when you do that and you do just come out and you're being totally on it, I think everyone enjoys the interview a lot. I, mean, I think people can tell when you're you're dancing around situations. I think the respect yeah. you may go bang, this is what happened. This is my take on it. And fair play to Andy, because it, it must have been tough for him to come out and, and tell some of the stuff that he did about kind of Pedro Cusini and stuff like that. So I was surprised at how open and honest he was. So... Uh, Andy, Andy would probably be that, that surprise for me. It must have helped as well, though, because when you're doing it in the, in the format that you do it, you can't really misinterpret what someone's saying. If you put an interview out in full and it's their words, you're on camera, you're speaking to them, like, you might get a newspaper picking up, but at least the, the, the person that you're interviewing, they know that they're kind of in control of, of how it's going to go. Yeah. I think a big thing as well is what we always say to them if there's... If there's nothing worse, I think, when you're doing an interview and you, you think, oh, shit, I shouldn't have said that and that's went out. So we always say, listen, do an interview, anything you want to take it out, yep. you have a think, you didn't like it, come back. Again, we didn't want this to be in a bad way. So if there's anyone that's sitting, what last thing I'd want anyone to do is sit and worry about what they've said to me. Yeah, exactly. I want them to enjoy the experience. And uh, so that's why we say, we'll send it to them, say, have a look, anything you want to take it out, let us know, we'll take it out. Obviously, when they say something, I try my best to, to get them to keep it in, but... If that's what they want, then that's fine, Moss, mate. Because as I say, these guys are doing me a favour. I don't want them to come across in a bad light. Yep, 100%. I can can be totally honest with you. That's happened, maybe, I can count on one hand how many interviews I've done, the amount of people that have came back and said, no, take that wee bit. Can't even actually remember one day. We've had to do it for for some. 
Thank you, Haswell Corner. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> but um, as I say, on the one hand, maybe people have came back and says, can you take that bit out, take that bit out? But uh, no, like you say, I think people know that when they're going to come on, they've seen the standard of the guys that have gone before them. Yeah. So understand what we're after but again even get, like even with Deeks I was so surprised that Deeks could even put a sentence together but he, he was talking <laughs> Hannah about doing that interview but when he actually gets talking Deeks you think Deeks actually knows what he's talking about yeah absolutely and it's just this um, perception you get of people that isn't the, that isn't the true big Gaz is the same Gaz is brilliant Gaz is one of the best guys you can meet he's too see Gaz is too honest that is Gaz he's, he's far too honest man but funny funny guy just do you pinch yourself sometimes, Si, that this is this is your job? You basically get to have a laugh and a carry on and interview some of the biggest names now in, in the game. It must be a bit, bit surreal for you. 100%, mate. Especially now I'm getting jobs like the radio and I had a column and that fuck knows how, but... Um, <laughs> but um, nah, it's brilliant. I sit with Barry Ferguson for tours on a Monday, tours yeah. on a Friday, and four hours on a Saturday, like, talking to him about football. Like, who the fuck am I to sit and talk to... Barry Ferguson about football. Dis- uh, di- see, at times I've actually disagreed with him and thought, what am I, what are you doing, man? <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, but, and then again, Monday, mate, people dread their work on a Monday. I've got two podcasts on a Monday, so jump out my bed on a Monday, go and hang about with Big uh, Slaney and Big Kevin and Andy and get a laugh and then go to the radio with Fergie. So, brilliant, mate, really good. So, so, good. so fortunate and privileged. Uh, Today, what I'm doing, uh, but I understand it'll not last forever, mate. So I'm just trying to enjoy it all while I can. Would obviously we spoke about the numbers earlier, and we'll wrap up soon because you're a busy, busy man. But did you pay attention, or because you don't? I guess you don't want it to be like the football when it's boom and bust, and you know it's not performing well, and you're going a downer. Do you pay much attention to the numbers, or do you, do you just know that whatever you're doing is, is working so far? No, nah, well, at the start, I probably did. You know, when you first started getting going, you want the numbers to do well, but I can tell if a podcast's going to be good now, so yeah. I don't need to look at the numbers. You know, if you do a podcast after it on a Monday, I'd be like, oh, that was crap to do, man. Yeah. So that's kind of how we go for it. And I mean, that's what's good about it. We're all open and honest enough to say, listen, that, that, was the, that didn't work. Need to do less of that, a bit more of this. So it's good, mate. Like, Slaney, Kev, Andy, they're all open and honest, and if they didn't enjoy something or they didn't think something went well, then they'll say, which is great. If you're going to get better, mate, then... And they're all coming up with new ideas all the time as well, which is great as well. You know, they, they, they could easily just sit there and answer questions and just yeah. get paid and go up the road. But they want to make the podcast better as well. So I think we've got a good group. Like, Slate, people would probably look at Slaney and think he just turns up and has a cannon, but Slaney's sending you ideas constantly. Can we do this? What about this? What about that? Which is great, mate. Because yeah. you don't want to be the guy who's just sitting there thinking, saying, do this, do that. Because ultimately, the boys will go, fuck off. No, yeah. What you want all the time, so it's great that like the Laura Anderson. We're trying to kind of get get different things for Slaney because he's got his own market that people love. So yeah. like, when you think about it, the opportunities are endless. Mate. It's just about taking them and and coming up with good ideas to to kind of fit them. But no, it's good. It's going well. And um, as I say, since Andy's came on, the numbers have been good. So you don't really need to yeah worry about it. And again. We spoke, we've got good sponsors who, you know, have got have gave us a certain amount of time that we'll get with them. So they, they give us feedback as well. So we yep. kind of we'll judge it by that as well. That's a great product, mate. You talk about opportunities. The, the hydro that must have been, you know, COVID obviously knocked that in the head for a little while, but and it's going to be phenomenal when it happens. But could you even imagine that it sold out and you are you're actually playing at the hydro? I'll tell you a story about Hydro. I don't know if I've ever told anyone this. I'll tell you a story about Hydro. So we uh, we got invited to see Still Game. And uh, it was like the bet, I think it was like the box that looks right on at the stage. Right. And uh, Slaney being Slaney, this is this is shite. We're funnier than him. He's like, go and put a tweet out saying, he says, how many can you sell at the Hydro? So we were like, I think it was 15,000. He says, put a tweet out saying, if we get 15,000 likes, we'll book the Hydro. So we put up while we're watching still game. 15,000 likes. We did the hydro. We woke up in the morning, mate. It was like 18,000 likes. And we were like, because it was always, he used to say, let's do the hydro. We always thought, talking with the shite. But yeah. when we seen that tweet and the reaction that it got, we were like, fuck it, man, let's do it. So what was the next steps? How did you make that happen? So you, you just basically get in touch with the hydro and say, well, this is another story. We've got in touch with the hydro and they were like, nah. <laughs> 
<laughs> like what a, a podcast nah no way and we were like no it's a it's, it's not it's like it's a good podcast so it's saying so why don't you do the armadillo and we were like nah we're not doing the armadillo there's no way we are writing on twitter we're doing the hydro and then fucking announcing the armadillo no chance so it was kind of a bit of a battle to get it on and um eventually they agreed says, right, okay, if you fancy yourselves that much, but if it doesn't sell, you're fucked, basically. Yep. So it's a bit of risk, mate, eh? It's a bit of risk. So the day Hydro went on sale, we were all sitting and we were all sitting on the group chat and I think they put it up and they were just getting updates and the numbers that were coming. I think it was after five years, sold it and we were all jumping about and That's going mental. Was it great? That was a great day, actually. I think we'd all take the day off work, whatever we were doing, and we were just sitting kind of... Because on Ticketmaster, you can kind of just sit and... You see the seats going. Yep. And then I think it was like five o'clock. It was like sold out, and you're like, amazing. Wow. But then so this COVID kind of fucked it. So when is it going to happen? Who knows? Wait and see. When are you planning? As soon as this is all done, mate, we'll do it straight away. We've got the show all planned, and that obviously different things have happened. Yeah. Since then, so we'll add a few things here and there. But I think we've got the kind of general idea of what's going to happen, how the show is going to run. So, couple of good guests coming on. If the if they stick to their word, um, that's going to be great. So it'll be good, mate. I'm really looking forward to it. Like, it's all, oh, it's all he speaks about. It's all he talks about is the hydro man. He's desperate to get it done. So I'm he not loves it's, it's, he it's loves a huge thing. Oh, does he? He, he stays in. Do you know where the train station is at Anderson? Yes. So do you know the flats that look onto the motorway? Yes. He's just in there. So he he, he so always he says, oh, every day. I'll be the first man to walk to the hydro phase. He's going to walk to the hydro phase that night. So he deserves it, man. Because to be fair, it was again, you can write all the questions doing that you want, but Slaney came up with that idea of first, as soon as he came on, he just came out where we were going to do the hydro and it kind of picked up momentum yeah. there. So he deserves it, man. Amazing. So the hydro, and then what's next? Where do you see it going? Oh, I mean, honestly, like. Who knows? The fact that we've just got the hydro and out it, see if it was to fall on its arse tomorrow, man, I'd, I'd be happy with what we've done and proud of how, we've, how far we've got. Just today, the hydro, mate, for a podcast was beyond yeah. our wildest dreams. So I'm not putting any, we're not putting any plans on it. We just kind of keep going with how we're going. And if it, if it does, if it gets better, it gets better. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. It's been a, been a blast, anyway. Well, I mean, I don't think you could sort of end any better than that. It's uh, all the best with whatever happens next, but it's been brilliant so far and I'm, I'm sure it'll continue. All the best with yours as well, mate. I'm sure it'll be great. Uh, I won't be as good as yours, but we'll see. We'll give no, it a shot. Yeah, we'll, we'll get, just get, you need to get yourself a slain and you'll be fine. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe and share. And I'll see you next time.